0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray and ask that you would be with us as we are concluding this seminar. Help us, Lord, to internalize these things, that we might apply these things, and see success for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I want to encourage you, and, and, I, and I've said this a couple of times. Um, I've said this a couple of times. Um, the principles that I am sharing with you are not in, uh, in difference to the Grow Michigan principles Uh, And so I want to encourage you, if your church has not sent individuals to go through the Emanuel Institute or if you've not had Emanuel Institute... Uh, in your church with Mark Howard and Cameron DeVasher, uh, I would encourage you to do that because they're gonna be sharing some of the similar principles, a little bit maybe different angle, but that's because we're all unique. That's why there's four gospels. Uh, That's why there's uh, Kings and Chronicles because there are different ways of looking at different things. But I wanna encourage you because some of the similar principles are gonna be shared by uh, Cameron uh, and Mark. Uh, also, and I forgot to put the slide up here. I keep forgetting this every day. So I'm just going to let you know. The Hope Channel wants to give you a free gift. They send me with these things and then I forget to do them. So they want to send you a free gift. And here's the free gift. They want they want to give you a book that was written by Derek Morris. So all you need to do is go to this website, hopetv.org forward slash free gift. Okay? hopetv.org forward forward slash free gift. And uh, and I I believe it is a digital download of one of Pastor Morris's uh, books, uh, and and the Hope Channel would just like to give that to you so you can have that. So again, hopetv.org forward slash free gift. So yesterday where we left off is on principle number three, or key number three, which is equipping. And we're where we ended is we ended in Ephesians chapter four, and that is that the apostle Paul encouraged every pastor to equip to equip believers for the work of ministry. I want you to notice what Ellen White says, and I, I loosely paraphrased this yesterday, but here's the quotation: Gospel Workers, page 352. The work of God in this earth can never. What does the word never mean? Never. Yeah, it never means never. The work on this earth can never be finished, and I want you to listen now very carefully, until the men and women comprising our church membership. Who is that? That's us. Rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. Let that kind of sink in a little bit. God's coming for a unified church. A unified church that's working together. And so, as we've been talking about these different principles... One of the most uncomfortable things in humanity will occur in order for us to get from point A to point B, and that is change. Most of us don't like change, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about this the first day, but you know, as as a church pastor, uh, one of the ways in which I'm easily able to identify people is by identifying where they sit. And so like you, sir, have been sitting there each and every day, and you have been sitting there each and every day. You've been sitting there each and every day. Each of you have been sitting in relatively the same spot because we are creatures of habit and we don't like to change. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. I'm not giving you a hard time. The last class that I taught, I taught a group of students from Heartland Institute, and I talked about that one day, and they must have had a choreographed effort because the next day they came in and they all sat in different spots. And I said, well, that's a a wonderful thing. Uh, But uh, anyways what this is going to require is for pastors, this will require change in using the analogy that I've used from football, and if you don't play football, I'm sorry for this analogy, but in order for a team to be successful, eventually the quarterback must hand off the ball, okay? But also, and equally as important, is that the individual that the quarterback hands the ball off to must receive the ball. Must catch the ball, whatever the case may be. Does that make sense to everybody? And so this will, by by the way, the beauty of this is this now creates dialogue. It creates dialogue in which we can now have conversations of, Pastor, I understand that your role from a biblical standpoint is to train and equip the members. So how therefore then, Pastor, can I help you accomplish that? Instead of the conversations which I have had throughout my ministry, where somebody comes and says, Pastor, I have a great idea. And they give me the idea and they say, So when are you going to do it? <laughs> Instead, of the conversation would be, Pastor, I have a great idea. And then the pastor responds and says, That is a fantastic idea. What tools, resources, and individuals can I help you to accomplish this idea? in the context of our overall church mission. And let me just give you an example from my own ministry. It's kind of interesting. The conference asked me to go and pastor a church that was in the midst of a stalled building project. And they wanted me to go to help them finish that building project off while I pastored the church. The reason I joke about this and laugh a little bit about this is because I hadn't even owned my own house up to that point. And now I'm going to help with a building project. And by the way, that's a good place to be because when you don't think you know everything, you know that you need to know something. And if you know that you need to know something, then you go to God for everything. And so I prayed. But when I went there, the conference said, now listen, the building committee chair is, is he's kind of difficult to work with. And I'll tell you this. I went there and we got along like two peas in a pod, (laughs) which then made me question, maybe I'm difficult too. I don't know. But anyways, we began, why, why did we work together so well? Because I understood one fundamental thing. I'm a preacher. I have a degree in theology. I have a master's degree in divinity. And now I have a doctorate in ministry, which means, In the world of education, I know a whole lot about very little. He, on the other hand, had extensive experience in building. And so we had a very simple conversation. I said, listen, my brother, I don't know anything about buildings. But I'm going to help you raise the money. I'm going to get people excited. I'm going to lead the people in prayer. You just make sure the building's good. And so we were right there in a meeting. And I'm getting people excited. We're going to build this building. We're going to reach the community. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And in the middle of this meeting, he raises his head. He says, Pastor, listen, on this wall here, I think we really need four outlets and not just the one. And I looked at him and I said, Brother, praise the Lord. Because I didn't even know there was one outlet there. You understand? So when we understand our roles, we work together. You know, My right hand is not jealous of what my left foot does. Because my right hand is not my left foot. And when we're in the body of Christ, the body of Christ works together for one thing. What is the body, your physical body, what is its one goal? And I'm not a biologist, but the goal of the body is to reach what is called homeostasis which is a big word for saying, you're healthy. Okay, you're healthy. And I see some of you elbowing each other out there. Did I get that right, was that right? Yeah, is that, okay, okay, good. And, and so what is the goal of us as the body of Christ to reach spiritual homeostasis? What does that mean? In order for a body to be healthy, the body of Christ to be healthy, it must be about its mission of homeostasis. And what is the mission of homeostasis? Making disciples. That's what the body of Christ is about. Okay? Does that make sense? All right, perfect. Ministry of Healing, page 149. Many would be willing to work if they were taught how to begin. They need to be instructed and encouraged. So I know I have a number of pastors that are here and listen, I've been to many a workers' meeting where we talk about, and you know, oh, if people would just be willing, if they would be willing, I have to do everything. Trust me, trust me. I have traveled the world. There are many that are willing. There are many that are willing. We just need to provide the opportunities to exercise their willingness. And also exercise the reality that it might not get done the exact way you wanted it to get done. But that's okay. Because there's a lot of people that like vanilla. There's a lot of people that like, I'll say chocolate. A lot of people that like pistachio. And that's all okay. Except for the people that like chocolate. They're not okay. No, I'm kidding with you. I just... it's because I don't like chocolate. I, I wish I could clone my DNA and sell it as a pill because people would help overcome their chocolate addictions because I just don't like chocolate. And that's a side, and that's another seminar altogether. But anyways, the challenge we face is a two-fold challenge. Number one, we have a lack of trust, and so we need to exercise that trust. Number two, though, is as members... We've gone through that cycle that I talked about yesterday where we've been asked to do something but not trained how to do it. And so we weren't successful in doing it. And because we weren't successful, we become a little bit calloused about doing something else because we put our best efforts forward and people didn't seem to appreciate it. And by the way, even when we follow all the principles that I've talked about, let me just be very, very clear. Everything's not going to be rosy. Because there's still the accuser of the brethren and there is still the accuser of the brethren who the Bible says roams about as a roaring lion. And so as the body of Christ is reaching spiritual homeostasis, that doesn't make him happy. So he's going to do everything and anything he can to disrupt that process. Does that make sense? So we need to continue and this is why the foundational pieces that we've put together are so important. Spiritual revival and spiritual renewal lead to, by the way, spiritual maturity. Which helps us understand, Sue, right? Did I get that right? Sue. That helps me understand that Sue is a human being and not perfect. But because we have all given ourselves and our lives to Jesus Christ and we have been renewed in him, I'm going to love Sue anyways. By the way, I would hope that that would be reciprocated because guess who else is imperfect? Me. Me. And by the way just for lay members here please remember your pastors aren't perfect they have struggles in their life too and it's a wonderful thing to exercise grace and mercy Ellen White goes on to say this every church how many churches every church every church should be a training school for Christians work for Christian workers its members should be taught to give Bible studies, and then it goes on about teaching health, it goes on, that whole passage there. All of our churches need to be a training center. That training center will look different at Pioneer Memorial Church than it will in the Bunker Hill Church. Because somebody asked me this question yesterday because... They said, I feel like our church is cluttered. How do we declutter? Decluttering requires the asking of some very difficult questions. Just like in our homes. And I shared the story of my wife and I. It's just my wife and I. We don't have any children. I should say we don't have any biological children. We kind of adopt young people along the way. And when I moved to Downers Grove, Illinois, we were, we were living in Bloomington, Illinois, and there's just the two of us. So we had a little two-bedroom uh, townhouse, and we lived in that. And, and then we moved to Downers Grove, Illinois, and Downers Grove, Illinois has a parsonage. And so you're going to live in the parsonage. Wonderful. We'll live in the parsonage. The parsonage is a five-bedroom home for the two of us. Now, I don't know. Maybe this is not a good logical way to think, but I thought it was gonna be kind of odd to leave four bedrooms completely empty. And so my brother's laughing over there because he knows what happened. Guess what we did with those four rooms? We filled them, you know, with beds and different things like this. And so now we have reached a stage in our life where what dictates where we can move is how much stuff we have. And so we are now going through the process of decluttering. And that requires difficult questions. So you're opening up these boxes and they're boxes of DVDs and CDs and all these other kinds of things. And you're like, man, those are good. Man, that's good stuff. That's really, really good stuff. But then I'm saying to myself, that's such good stuff that I haven't looked at it in 15 years. Guess what? When I get home, it's all gonna go in the garbage. So in the church, we need to ask questions. What ministries... What ministries are leading toward the goal of making disciples? What ministries are not leading toward the goal of making disciples? And those ministries that are not leading toward the goal of making disciples, do we need to make some changes within those ministries? Or do we possibly need to eliminate those ministries for the time being? And I know some of you are very uncomfortable by me just even saying that. Even though the church manual lists some 20-odd positions to serve in a local church, doesn't mean that we need to assign somebody to serve in all of those positions. Does that make sense to everybody? My first church, I served my entire first year as a new pastor and a fairly new Adventist with no head elder. Because as the church, I didn't make this decision, by the way, because I was new, <laughs> you know, I'm leading nominating committee, and you know, in school they didn't teach me how to lead a nominating committee. So you pray a lot and you say, Okay, Lord help me to lead this nominating committee. The church as a body decided, you know what, there's no one really qualified to be the head elder. Okay, so we'll go without a head elder the following year? Because we prayed, and we prayed and we prayed. The Lord brought a head elder to our church. What's the point I'm trying to make? When we're decluttering, a part of decluttering is focusing on what is most efficient and most effective. And that may require us to ask some difficult questions and may require us to make some difficult uh, and, and come with some difficult solutions. Probably the greatest example I can give from my own ministry is when I went to Downers Grove, Illinois. When I went to Downers Grove, Illinois, the church school there, which was a K-8 school, had 11 students and one had just left, so they were down to 10 students and two teachers. For those of you who have ever served on a school board, that's bad numbers. And once again, when I was brought there, the the conference was hoping that I would help reignite the church and the church school. And mind you, again, remember, I don't have any children. So it's a good place to be because I don't know anything about, and I didn't grow up Adventist, so I, didn't, I had never gone to an Adventist school except for college. And so we're praying, we're praying. And we have our first school board meeting, and this is how the conversation went. There was deliberation over whether we would have kindergarten and i was just sitting and listening and watching and then came the inevitable moment that comes in many board meetings and many school board meetings do you know what that inevitable moment is where everybody turns to you and says hey pastor what do you think at that point in my ministry i was you know half the age of everybody sitting at the table and you know in your mind you're thinking why do you care what i think i'm just a kid but i was praying and i and i was praying i said lord lord what are we to do And the Lord led me to say this and and I'm using this as an analogy to help us understand this issue of decluttering. I looked at the school board members and I said, listen, I do not believe that the Downers Grove Public School District right now is having a deliberation in a meeting over whether they're going to have kindergarten next year in their public schools. They're looking at the numbers and if the numbers aren't working, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to make a cut or they're going to go and find the students to fill up the kindergartens in their public schools. And I looked at this group of individuals and I said, listen, fundamentally, I think we're asking the wrong question. And this is the question that I think we need to ask. Are we gonna have a school? I'm not gonna make that decision for you because here is the reality. And I love all of you and I'm glad that I'm here in Downers Grove, but here is the reality. Someday I'm going to leave. But all of you are here and you're going to be here and you've been here and you're going to be here. And so we need to make a decision And the decision I think we need to make tonight is whether or not this school is an effective ministry. If it is an ineffective ministry, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to eliminate it, but we can vote to have a school. And if we're going to have a school, then all of us must commit and covenant right here tonight to make the school work. Or we can decide to close the school. And as your pastor, I have an opinion, but I'm not going to share that but I'm gonna support you in whatever direction you wanna go because this church is the church. And Jesus is the head, not me. And that night that church, that school board rather, made a decision to move forward and have a school. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but God did amazing things. But it required some very difficult decisions which included some staff changes. It was painful. But our school went from 10 students to 24 students. And then from 24 students, it went to 34 students. And then from 34 students, it went to 47 students. Some of you may know Ruth Horton, who serves in the education department in the union, Ruth Horton is the woman that came to become the principal of our school. And let me tell you what the Lord does just to help us understand what can happen. We had a career fair at our little school that was in the lower level of the Downers Grove Church. Basically a two-room school. We had a career fair and that career fair had over 50 different careers in the career fair. And this is the power of God we had public schools bringing their children to our little Adventist school on field trips to go through our career fair. The point I'm making is we made a decision that night at the school board to declutter and focus on mission. And what was the mission? What is the mission of every Adventist school? To prepare a child for eternity. And in the effort to declutter, it required some difficult decisions. But we made those decisions, and then that school board committed themselves. And as we committed ourselves, we began talking to parents, talking about the school. And for me, as the pastor, I'm seeing great need. And yes, I'm the senior pastor of this church but I'm seeing great needs because I'm seeing that we have two teachers and then we had a third teacher in our little daycare who were overworked and very busy. And so I just asked a question and my question was very simple. What could I do to help you? I mean, I'm gonna be here for chapels. I'm gonna do these, kind of, but what can I do to help you? Because you have a very busy day. They said, pastor, is there any way that you could take the students for, uh, and, and, and I could tell the hesitation. Could, could you take the, the students for one class period, like during PE class? <laughs> I said, well, a PE teacher I am not, but you know what, I know how to run around, I know, to, I know how to throw a ball, I know how to do different things, so I'm sure I'll teach your PE class. Why? That's why. Because it's only when we come together that the work on this earth, God will be able to use us to finish the work on this earth. Remember, it's God that's finishing his work. He's just looking for the tools to get it done. Too often we talk about, you know, Lord, help us to finish the work. That is a very, very awkward prayer. Because God's not called us to finish the work. The Bible is clear that he finishes his work. He's just looking for willing tools to help accomplish his task. Does that make sense all right so we come together so we have the training a revived church is filled with members that are equipped to witness it is a church that is ready to reach its community here comes key number four which is very obvious community outreach now I want you to remember because I don't want anybody to be disappointed I want to go back to that quote that I read from EM Bounds The church seeks for better methods, God seeks for a better man or a better woman, okay? We can talk about all kinds of different techniques. This isn't about techniques, this is about principles. How do we reach our community? Revived churches grow when there is a planned process of community outreach meeting the physical, mental, social, and spiritual needs of people. So this is now the application of what we talked about on the first day and that is sozo ministry. Remember the word sozo, the Greek word sozo from John 3, 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The word there, saved, is the Greek word sozo, which is literally translated deliverance from sin, but it is also translated to be made well or to be made whole. One of the examples, by the way, of to be made well is the woman. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? She touches the hem of the garment of Jesus, and the Bible says that she is made well. So how do we bring to our community a, a ministry of wholeness and wellness, spiritually, physically, and mentally? We can praise God that we're in a gymnasium, huh? Pray for the children in the tents. How do we do this? This is exactly what Jesus did, by the way. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So how then do we do this? Growing churches will have a variety of programs that meet the needs of varied people groups. Just as Jesus meant physical, mental, and emotional and spiritual needs, his people filled with his love do the same. So here's the principle. Okay. Okay. I say all of this in the context because these are not in opposition of one another. When I talk about decluttering, and yesterday I used the phrase, you know, jack of all trades and a master of none, okay? This principle will operate different in the Grand Rapids Central Church as opposed to uh, the, the, the Ionia Church, Because there is a difference in resources and primarily the difference in resources is not just financial, but the difference is resources is what? People, members. And so here's the principle. It's called the narrow few principle. The narrower your ministry base, the fewer the results. So if you're doing one community outreach program You therefore could not expect to have the same results than if you were doing two community outreach programs. Does that make sense to everybody? The broader your ministry base, the greater the results. So let me put this in a graph so you can see this. Every community program or event is held as a pathway to the church and to the path of discipleship. So this is the pathway's principle. We address the physical needs of people. And friends, the, the resources to address the physical needs of people is tremendous. Right here in the Michigan Conference, you have Vicki Griffin and, and, uh, and the numerous Lifestyle Matters resources that she has put together. But you have other resources, Teeny Finley and her Natural Lifestyle Cooking, which has been redone and has a workbook. And you can walk people through six sessions of cooking. Uh, There is uh, also a book by Tini Finley called Wellness. You have the New Start opportunities. You have health expos. You have, folks, we have more resources in the Adventist church to address people's physical needs than we could, than we know what to do with. And in fact, sometimes I'm I'm afraid that we have so many resources that it paralyzes us. What do I mean by that? Have you ever been to a restaurant? Especially for those of us that are vegetarian and maybe even more so for those who, 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 are, who are vegan, where you go to a restaurant, you know, and most restaurants you go to, you have like one or two choices. Like, so I'm either going to get the spaghetti, which is spaghetti noodles with marinara, or I'm going to get the rotini with marinara sauce. It's kind of the decision I have to make. But then have you ever gone to a restaurant that's like a completely vegetarian restaurant where like you get the menu and the menu's four or five pages long and you can eat everything in the menu? And then you have a problem uh, because then you want to eat everything in the menu and you sit there (laughs) for what seems like a lifetime trying to figure out like, what am I going to eat today? Sometimes I wonder if we have so many resources that it has paralyzed us from actually doing something. Because we go through all these things, but okay, but this one has this and that one has this and this one has that and that one has this and I I just don't wanna choose wrong. Folks, when we talk about reaching the physical needs of people, let's make a choice and I'll talk about discovering the needs of our community in just a moment. We choose something and we roll with it. And you know what? If we do a program to touch people's physical needs, And let's say we do a cooking school, and when we do that cooking school, it, for whatever reason, is not successful. And how do we define success? We don't simply define success by people coming. We define success by making an impact. You know, this phrase has been used with me a lot. Maximum impact. We need to make maximum impact. And for many years, I'll tell you how I interpreted that. Maximum impact means that number of people. Over the course of the last 12 months, God has redefined that for me. What is maximum impact? Maximum impact is the fact that I can make maximum impact if there's one person there, okay? By the way, that's not to excuse small numbers. That's simply to say, if one person comes and that life, and person of that life is transformed, you have made maximum impact in their life, okay? That's how we define success, maximum impact. So, but we're not able to make maximum impact for whatever reason, That's okay, we evaluate, we go through this and and we discover why it didn't work. And maybe we try again with something different or we choose an entirely different program. I mean, I want you to imagine this. If, 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 If the world operated how we operate and something doesn't work one time and so we're like, ah, it doesn't work, we're not gonna do it anymore. Folks, we'd be sitting here in the dark today You follow what I'm saying? The first light bulb that was attempted blew up. It didn't work. But there continued to be trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, until finally, it works. Ellen White uses these words, by the way. She uses the word experimental godliness. What what does experimental mean? You hypothesize? And then you try it, which means that sometimes it may not work. And that's okay. That's okay. So then we have social, social pathways. Uh, What kind of fellowship dinners, by the way? We, We can do a fellowship dinner for the community. Did you know that? I mean, there would be many people in your community that would be excited to come to an all-vegetarian meal. Musical programs, Christmas programs, church picnics and hikes. You have these social things, but all of those are leading as a pathway to the church with the mission of those individuals becoming disciples of Christ. Mental and emotional, stress management, depression recovery, family life. Friends, I'm going to tell you right now, family life We underestimate the power and the need for family life principles, family and parenting. Have you read the statistics, my friends? During COVID-19, what happened? Divorce rates skyrocketed during COVID-19. Why is that? Because people are around each other a lot more and they don't know what to do with each other. So don't underestimate the power of family life and family ministries, spiritual programs, archaeology, Daniel, Bible studies, evangelistic meetings. I'm going to talk more about all of that in just a minute, the evangelistic meeting in particular. But here's the the big question that I'm always asked. How do I discover the needs of my community? Now, There are, and I don't know if the Michigan Conference does this. I should have asked before I got up here. Um, There are places where you can pay for fairly expensive demographic studies and they'll tell you all about your community. Okay? And you can do that and that's an okay thing to do. But there are far more simple ways to figure out what the needs of your community are. Some of you may have heard of a man by the name of Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch is the guy who... Took over the Magellan Fund, which was a mutual fund, and he took that over, I believe, in the 1980s, uh, and he grew that the Magellan Fund to be the largest uh, mutual fund at that point in time in history. And Peter Lynch then wrote an investing book, and one of his simplest principles for investing was to use this tool. Are you ready? it's actually two tools, your right eye and your left eye. What do I mean by that? Peter Lynch just simply watched what was going on. Peter Lynch was one of the first people to invest in a little company. Let me see if you'll guess it. Their sign is yellow. They serve sandwiches, six inch or foot long. Who is it? Subway. There are many of you that are old enough to remember when Subway didn't exist. How many of you remember when Subway didn't exist? But Peter Lynch invested in Subway because he said, Man, these are popping up all over the place. How many of you are old enough to remember Kmart? How many of you have shopped at a Kmart in the last five years? A lot less hands. How many of you shopped at a Kmart in the last 12 months? Even less hands. Why is that? because there are very few of them. Peter Lynch began to notice that these Kmarts started closing, starting putting up for sale signs. I better sell that stock. Then he noticed something else. He noticed something else. There are all these do-it-yourself businesses opening up all over the place. They have a big orange sign. What was he noticing? Home Depot. What's the point? And why am I telling you this? Why am I talking about investing in the context of community outreach? Folks, the easiest and most simple principle to learn what the needs of our community are is to get into the community. Walk around. Walk around the streets of where your church is. Walk around and see what's happening. If you're seeing playgrounds and play sets and big wheels and bicycles and things like this all over the place, what do you know about your community? A lot of children. So that means... Hey, to reach this community, one access point is to reach the children. If I'm walking around and I see that homes are dilapidated, lawns are long, and siding is falling off, what am I learning about my community? It is socioeconomically disadvantaged. And how can we help in this community? What are some things that we could do? Maybe we have a ministry in which we go and buy some lawnmowers and we get out and we help in the community. And we don't do it in an arrogant sort of way, we do it and say, listen, hey, I was noticing. We would love to help you. We're not asking, we don't want money from you. We're not, even, we're not even looking for donations. We just want to help you with your home. Is there anything else in your home that we could do to help you? Uh, for those of you that have been coming to the David Fiedler meetings, uh, the, the session that happens right after this session, he talked about Christian help bands. And you'll also read in the writings of Ellen White, medical missionaries. When you go read about what medical missionaries were doing, what were medical missionaries doing? They just went and said, hey, what are the needs of the community? So medical missionaries were out chopping wood, hauling coal, uh, helping with these kinds of things. Does that make sense to everybody Everybody following me? By the way, what's another really easy source of, of opportunities to reach people in need? The newspaper, and I know that's old news, I know that's, I know that's analog, that's old technology. Let me tell you what, the newspaper is still a valuable tool. There are four groups of people, four groups of people that you can find a need in your community to address. The newspaper tells you something about people who are in need. Now, just by generally reading the newspaper, you're learning about your community. But what are, what are some things that you can draw from the newspaper? Every newspaper reports something where people are in need and it's a time in life where they're in need. The obituaries. How is that family in need? They've just lost a loved one. What happened if our church took upon itself to make sure that everybody in the community that lost a loved one sensed the love of Jesus in their life and we delivered a package to them and followed up with them and prayed with them? What else does a newspaper tell us? On the opposite end of the obituary, it tells us about births. What would happen if our community was known to be the community that delivers a blanket to every mother that delivers a baby? By the way, if there are pastors here with obituaries, connect with your local funeral directors. Collect, connect with I was I was best of friends with our local funeral director in, uh, in, in Hagerstown, Maryland. And I simply let him know this, hey listen brother, if you have somebody that comes here, if you have somebody that comes here and they don't have a preacher or a pastor to minister to them in their time of need, I'm open. Now, let me be very clear when you say this to them because most funeral homes will actually pay you a little honorarium to do that. You need to make it clear that that's not why you're there. I have a real passion to help people in these times of need. I don't need an honorarium. I will just be willing to voluntarily come here and and help minister to these families, okay? What's another thing that the newspaper tells you? What's that? Weddings. Is that a pretty uh, pretty major situation in people's lives? What happened if our church became known as the church that welcomed? Welcomed to the new life of marriage? Oh, and by the way, we provide them some avenue of family life, and we deliver a book to them that's about a good marriage. What else does the newspaper tell us? Tells us about real estate transfers. Now, even if your newspaper doesn't tell you about newspaper transfers, or excuse me, even if your newspaper doesn't tell you about real estate transfers, there's a really easy way to do this, okay? Okay. Let's say you want to be the church that welcomes families to the community. First of all, how can you discover without the newspaper what homes are for sale? <laughs> now, the simplest analog way of doing it is you drive around and you take note of the for sale signs. And by the way, no one's going to think you're weird doing that because, and you're taking down the address because the house is for sale, right? And then how do you know when the home is sold? So you come back and check a week later and there's a little sold sign. (laughs) In this day and age, you just come back 24 hours later and the house is sold. And then how do you know when the people are moving out? Because a moving truck comes. And how do you know when people come in? Because another moving truck comes. What would happen if that's the ministry that you took up? And so every week you drove around the neighborhood, identifying the homes that were for sale and watching for the moving trucks. Oh, hey, there's a moving truck there. Hey, the new people have come. Let's put together our little welcome pack and we'll deliver it to the people. Are you following what I'm saying? These are simple things. By the way, I wanna be very, very clear. I'm not telling you all that, that you have to do these things. I'm simply trying to give you ideas. There are a multitude of other ideas. There are ways in which we can become involved in the community. Another very easy way to find out what the needs of your community are is just look up your city name in Google. And it will identify, and I mean, I'll never forget, I, I was actually doing this live with some pastors from an unnamed conference, and it wasn't the Michigan conference. And we were talking about this community and two very distinct experiences. Because I voluntarily tell them, listen, I've never been to your community, I've never been there, never driven through there, don't know anything about it. I'm just gonna tell you what the data is telling me. And the computer is full of data that tell you about the community. And this town happened to be a suburb of a major metropolitan area. And I started walking through the demographics. And this one pastor started arguing with me. Yeah, but you don't understand. You've never been there. I said, well, I already told you that. I've never been there before. I'm just telling you what the demographics say. And then another pastor, all of a sudden the lights went on and he he goes, I've never thought of this before. See, that suburb that's where all the leadership of, the, of that city lives. That's where, all the, that's, where the, that's where the mayor lives. That's where the council lives. And then they drive into the city and he, and, and he starts, to, folks, that's another way we can go and discover. You know, we may discover something. What do we discover? Uh, for example, in that same community, I discovered through just some simple research, the largest Hindu temple in the United States happened to reside in that neighborhood. That tells me something. What does that tell me? High population of, of East Indians and a high population of what? What kind of, yeah, somebody said it. What kind of diet do Hindus typically have? Vegetarian. Now, I'm looking out amongst us, but now all of a sudden, instead of just doing a vegetarian cooking class, guess what I'm thinking about doing? I'm gonna do a vegetarian Indian cooking class. And some of you are saying, I hate Indian food. That's okay, that's okay. Because if you hate Indian food, that's all right, but your community doesn't. So now we're gonna figure out how to reach the community. And, And some of us are saying, but I don't know how to cook Indian food, so you can do one of two things. Either you can go learn how to make Indian food, or you find somebody in a neighboring Adventist church that knows how to make Indian food that now can have your Indian cooking vegetarian class. Does that make sense to everybody? You following what I'm saying? We reach the community. We reach the community. We find the needs of the community and we're reaching out into the community. And why are we doing this, by the way? Because we are manifesting a sozo-like ministry of Christ where we as a church exist in the community to bring healing and wholeness to that community. And why, how do we bring healing and wholeness through a vegetarian and Indian vegetarian cooking class? Because through cooking Indian vegetarian cooking class, we are now helping in a way to eat Indian food that is more healthy, which will unclog your arteries, which will now help bring you physical wholeness. And by the way, that also then will lead to the opportunity because people will ask you questions. Why are you doing this in your church? Well, because... Jesus, Jesus is the man who saved me and he saved me so I could bring a healing influence into the world. And most Hindus are going to then say to you, tell me about this Jesus. And when they come to discover there is one God, it is quite an appealing thing to not have to deal with the pantheon of gods that they deal with. Does that make sense, everybody? Community outreach. Community outreach then leads to key number five. Just like in the garden, how many of you have gardens this year? Don't worry, I'm not gonna call on you. How many many of you have gardens this year? Wonderful. Did you plant the garden simply to look at the greenery of the garden? No, you planted the garden with the hopes of what? Of a harvest. So we're planting seeds in the community and then on a regular basis, we have systematic reaping. What do I mean by systematic reaping? I mean some type of proclamation of the gospel. Intentional proclamation. Shall we call it an evangelistic series? And an evangelistic series can come in many forms. Yes, it can be the five weeks with five weekends with four weeks in between. It can be one week long. It could be a weekend. By the way, we need to try different things with this. But we have a systematic time of reaping where we're making proclamations and we're inviting everyone that we've been touching. Now is everybody, like is everybody that came to my Indian vegetarian cooking class going to come to our Discoveries and Revelation evangelistic series? No, no, but is that okay? Yeah, it's okay, because we're in for the long run. And by the way, if I invite you to come to the Indian vegetarian cooking class and you come, and then I invite you to come to Discoveries and Revelation and you don't come, How do I treat you after that? The same way. I love you. You're my friend. I made a friend with you at the Indian vegetarian cooking class, and we're going to continue to be friends. And maybe the next time around, when we do a, 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 a Bible prophecy weekend and I invite you again, you might come, but you may not come. But that's okay. Because I have made a friend for the kingdom. And I would remind you, dear friends, how long did Jesus labor with Judas? Three and a half years. and I would remind you, Jesus washed the very feet of Judas at the Last Supper. And Ellen White says that Judas's fate was not sealed until he walked through the doors. How long did God labor with Lucifer? We don't know how long it was, but we know that it was a long time. And what does the Bible say about that? I'm sorry, what does the Spirit of Prophecy say about that? Spirit of Prophecy says that God would have been willing to put Lucifer back in the very position that he held. So friends, if you have somebody, and, and I'm using these comparisons to make it very dramatic, because my dear friend here has come to my Indian vegetarian cooking class. He's not done anything evil. He just didn't come to the evangelistic series that's okay. We continue to remain connected and friends. And I will tell you, at the Living Hope Church where our school of evangelism resides, we have people that have been coming along for three and four years. And we invite them, we continue to invite them. But because there's regular systematic reaping, and by the way, an evangelistic series can come in the form, something we've experimented with, is doing a one night a week meeting. Tuesday nights for 10 weeks. Tuesday nights for 12 weeks, and people come. But if we're in for the long run, which most of us have lived in our homes and lived in our communities for quite some time, that's not a problem. In more than 35 instances in the book of Acts, evangelistic proclamation is at the heart of rapid growth of the church. Churches grow when God's word is preached through evangelistic proclamation. Evangelistic churches are growing churches. I could say a lot about this, and this is a whole seminar in and of itself, but does that make sense? We have systematic reaping. By the way, for those of you that grow a garden, how many of you are growing tomatoes? How do you get your tomato plant to produce more tomatoes? By picking the tomatoes, right? Right? You're harvesting. How many of you grew peas? Okay, probably some of you still have peas because it's, although it's been hot here, but, you know, as you pick peas, more peas are produced. And so we want this systematic harvesting and reaping. And again, there's no magic solution. How that harvest looks in Houghton Hancock may look vastly different than it looks in Eau but you know your communities. Key number six, plan nurture. I have already mentioned this, but the integration of new believers into the community of faith through emphasis on personal devotional life, corporate worship, fellowship, and witness. Evangelism, and I want you to listen to this. If you don't get anything from the five days we've spent together, it is, this is what I hope you do get. Evangelism is incomplete without a comprehensive strategy to nurture new converts. Does that make sense to everybody? So all of those that you growing gardens, how many of you have more than two tomato plants in your garden? How many of you have more than four tomato plants in your garden? Oh, how many of you have more than eight tomato plants in your garden? Oh, see, I've got some. So, uh, and, 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 and you, dear sir, I, I don't know your name and I'll, I'm gonna get your name afterwards, okay? I'm not gonna ask you how many tomato plants, but it, is it just you and your wife that have all these tomato plants? Yes. So you have more than 10 tomato plants. So what are you going to do at the end of the season? Now, maybe you're a farmer and you're growing tomatoes to sell, but what are you going to do with those tomatoes at the end of the harvest? Okay, so give some away. I'm going to assume that some of those go to your neighbors. Have you done that on a regular basis in the past years? Only the second year. So over the course of time, you're going to become known as the guy who gives us tomatoes. That's a good thing in the community because people like tomatoes because tomatoes from the garden taste like tomatoes unlike the ones that come from the supermarket, right? So you're going to become but then you said you were going to can some which is in the overarching umbrella of what we would call preservation. Maybe you'll dry some. Make your own sun-dried tomatoes. Maybe you'll freeze some. But all of it comes under this umbrella of preservation. In the same way, when when we are proclaiming and people are making decisions for Jesus Christ, as they come, we need to take time to nurture them for preservation. And so, for example, when you're canning your tomatoes, and I don't know how you can your tomatoes, but I know how my mother-in-law cans tomatoes. She cans her tomatoes in a very simple way. She grows Roma tomatoes. She doesn't peel them. All she does is she cuts them in half and she jams them in the jar. As many as she can get in the jar and she puts two basil leaves on the top, caps it, cans it. Oh, I'm sorry. She puts a clove of garlic in there too. That's it. I think she'll call me afterwards and let me know. But you know what? There are other people who they'll boil the tomatoes and then put them in the ice bath and peel them and some people will stew tomatoes. There's all kinds of ways. What's the point I'm making? We need to make our new believers feel at home. And I, and I even hate to say we need to. It's a part of God's plan that that's what happens. And I know some of these things are obvious, but we easily skip over that. Churches grow when new converts are nurtured and taught to witness. Nurture and follow up were significant parts of the disciples' evangelistic strategy. What happened? After the 3,000 were baptized, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' doctrine? What is doctrine? Teaching. What were the apostles teaching? (laughs) They were teaching about Jesus. So the apostles' doctrine is the teachings of Jesus. So what were they doing with these new converts after they had been baptized? They were teaching them. What else were they doing? Fellowship. So that means they were doing what? spending time with them and in the breaking of bread the word the phrase there breaking of bread can can mean both communion but also can simply mean eating a meal together so that nurture included spending time together being in communion together eating meals together and then it says and in what prayers and they prayed together so what are the elements There are personal devotions according to Acts chapter 4. There's fellowship house to house, Acts 2. There's corporate worship and praise in Acts 2. There's involvement and witness according to Acts 6-7. So what can we do to follow up with new people? We have a weekly Bible class focused on the life and teachings of Jesus. Maybe we call it a small group. I have a whole seminar on small groups. I'm going to simply say this because I'm already going to go over time here because I'm going to finish. Small groups. Small groups. One of the greatest challenges we have in small groups, and I'm going to give you this one key in a small group. Your small group must have a beginning and your small group must have an ending. We're going to study the life and teachings of Jesus for the next 10 weeks. And we study for 10 weeks. See, what we too often do with our small groups is we come in, I say, Sue, would you like to be a part of my small group? And Sue's looking at me and she's wondering, is this a commitment for the rest of my life? Sue, we're going to have a study on the life and teachings of Jesus for the next 10 weeks. Would you like to be involved in that? We're going to start on July the 6th. Now all of a sudden she knows it's going to be 10 weeks. Now, can we then, once the 10 weeks is up, have another small group? Of course. Okay, is everybody with me on that? But we invite new believers to be a part of small group and have a weekly class. Pastors, we should have a Sabbath morning uh, pastor's Bible class uh, for Sabbath school for new believers. And then... Many of you are aware of this uh, resource. If you are not aware of this resource, you need to get this resource. It's called the Discipleship Handbook. Your own Jim Howard is the one uh, that, that authored that. Um, and I know Mark and Cameron helped him with that. The Discipleship Handbook is one of the most effective tools to walk new people through understanding what they are as a Seventh-day Adventist again and acquaint them with the habits and, uh, and, and different things of the church. Does that make sense to everybody? An effective follow-up plan, key number seven, is caring fellowship. What do I mean by that? New Testament believers place the high priority on warm, loving fellowship. Okay, I've already read that. So we pray with new believers. We welcome new believers to our home. Invite new believers to your home for a healthy breakfast. I mean, remember, when people become an Adventist, this is life transformational. First and foremost, because they encounter Jesus. But secondly, their diet changes. So what do you have for breakfast? What do you have for breakfast instead of bacon? That's what people think about, by the way. What am I going to eat now? I can't have sausage anymore. So we introduce them to, so what would be, what, think about the wonderful fellowship that would happen if you invited new believers over to your home on a Sunday morning to have a big breakfast with nice pancakes and, you know, if you wanna to do tofu scramble, you can do that, but you don't have to do that kind of stuff, you know, hash browns and, and then, and you teach people. Like, oh wow, there's, there's, there's a world that exists without meat. That's fantastic. Does that make sense to everybody? We're, we're, we're helping, we invite people over for Sabbath lunch. I know it says Sabbath dinner, but in some contexts, lunch is dinner and dinner is lunch, but you're following what I'm saying. The meal right after church service. That's been a lost art, by the way. It's a lost art. We have focused on church potluck and lost sight of the importance of individual fellowship. Prior to the pandemic, our church locally in Haymarket has potluck every single week. I go once a month. We have people in our home every other week. And I'm not trying to tell you, oh, pastor, that's great. No, 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 I'm just telling you, that's a, that's a commitment that, that my wife and I have made. And it's always been that way. So let's invite new people over for Sabbath lunch. Invite new believers to be a part of an active outreach ministry. So if you're going out on Wednesday nights to deliver Bible studies, invite a new person to get involved. And here is the summary as I end, seven keys. Spiritual revival or spiritual renewal, inspiring worship, training and equipping, community outreach, systematic reaping, nurture and follow-up, and caring fellowship. And we will end, we will end where we began, where we began. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. My dear brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that you received something out of this seminar that you'll be able to practically apply in your own life and in the ministry of your own churches. (laughs) Well, I, I, you know, I I will tell you, uh, I will tell you, Michigan, uh, Michigan is definitely, uh, I've lived a lot of different places in my life. I was born in Indiana, lived a lot of my life in the Chicago area, and then spent a quite a significant amount of time. I've, I've graduated from Andrews three different times. And so, Uh, My mom lives in Niles. And listen, if you all could remember my family in prayer, I, you know, I'm the only Adventist in my family. And, um, and, uh, but coming back to your point is Michigan, I definitely consider Michigan home. Uh, And so, uh, so I love Michigan. Yes, ma'am. Somebody's asking about small groups. Yeah, I have a whole presentation on small groups. So just email me Uh, again. I gave you my email address. It's hollandc at gc.adventist.org. Just send me an email and, and, and in there note that you'd like the presentation on small groups and I'll send that to you. That's no problem. Happy to do that. Oh, the lessons on the life of Jesus. So that, that, um, Pastor Finley has just written, uh, lessons on the life of Jesus. And at least when I went into the ABC, they had them, um, and the name of it is escaping me right now, but it's the newest, one of the newest things that Pastor Finley has put out and, um. And, uh, and you can get them there through the ABC. Just ask them, about, uh, ask them about the Jesus study guides that Pastor Finley and Mrs. Finley just put out. Uh, excellent resource. And it, that's like just off the press. So, okay, I'm sorry, I misunderstood what you were asking there. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here. And yet, Lord, while we are happy to be here at camp meeting, Deep in our hearts, we would much rather be in heaven with you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would revive us so much that our heart aches for heaven. And because our heart aches so much for heaven, our heart would ache even more for lost souls on this earth. Lord, give us a passion for lost people. And give us a passion to proclaim the gospel. And may you utilize this group of people here, those watching on the live stream, those watching later on the archive program. I pray, dear God, that you would use all of us as you finish the work on this earth. And Lord, I pray that that finishing would be complete and would be quick. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.